In this era of grave spiritual crisis, it is not enough to simply know about your Catholic faith. That is why we need a Catholic toolbox to equip us with the practical skills necessary to live our Catholic faith, to reach our ultimate goal, which is heaven for all eternity. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Join us every Tuesday night at 8pm for the Catholic Toolbox as we hand you the tools to go forth, live the faith and change our modern world today. Live on The Voice of Charity. And welcome back to another week on the Catholic Toolbox, the art of practical Catholicism. I'm your host and founder, George Manasseh, here as we equip you with practical tools to live your faith in our modern world of today. And this week, we're continuing the journey in Lent. Last week, we spoke about, if you didn't catch our episode, about Lent, about Lenten penances specifically, and how they developed, specifically the Sacrament of Confession. And we're continuing, Father... Welcome back to the show. Thank you very much, George. Good yeah. to be back. It's great to see you. I haven't <laughs> yeah. seen you for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Last week before your viewing audience. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so how have you been, Father? Very well, as always, yeah. <laughs> in spite of my advancing age. But yeah. <laughs> Are you still playing sports? Uh, still have, keeping have, strong? Have to have to stay fit in order to do the work of God. So anyway. Exactly. <laughs> you're much fitter than many people. <laughs> much, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're much fitter than me, definitely. Mm. <laughs> but let's, uh, we're continuing our journey in Lent now. We're, we're well into Lent now. And, and we wanted to keep, uh, stay in the desert with our Lord. We want to keep discussing and stay on the theme of Lent for these episodes. So what can you enlighten us, Father? How, how is your journey of Lent going? Well, that's personal between me and God, of course. <laughs> but I'm constantly urging people, this is too important a season to waste. And one of the really nice ideas I like about this in the English language is, well, let's start with the Romance languages based on Latin. The name for Lent in all those languages is based on the word for 40, quadragesima in Latin and quaresma in Spanish mm -hmm. and whatever. So... It's 40, but in English, it's Lent, nothing to do mm -hmm. with Latin. Where yeah. did we get that name? From Old German, a word apparently of meaning, well, it's Lenten, L-E-N-C-T-E-N, -E meaning springtime. And I always comment on that because if we live Lent well, there's a springtime in the spiritual life. We grow mm -hmm. closer to God. And I always say, too, that we should be much closer to God on Easter Sunday than we were on Ash Wednesday, no matter where we were on Ash Wednesday. Mm -hmm. And many people are living a deep spiritual life all the time, but they increase that in Lent, and there's a, there's a growing uh, growth of budding and flowering in Lent, and so by, by Easter Sunday, we're, we're that much better. And then, here's another thought that I always have, and this, I think, is the experience of many people. If you, if you draw a graph, now let's say, Let's do it for the, for the camera out there. 
at on Ash Wednesday, your spiritual level is on the table. Then on Ash Wednesday, suddenly you you take on a number of aspects, and we'll talk about the three areas, of course. So you suddenly take a quantum leap up to a new level. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then during Lent, you've got six and a half weeks, and the Maronites get two extra ones. We have <laughs> two fewer. We have 40. <laughs> if you take out the Sundays, you have 42. So ideally, during Lent, that doesn't decline, but hopefully it stays at least the same or it increases. Okay, then at the end of Lent, you get to Easter Sunday and you say, thank God Lent is over. I don't have to do all these extra things. But this one that I've been doing, I've been getting to Mass more often. I've been denying myself too much sugar or whatever it is. I think I'll just keep that up for the rest of the year. Your base level coming into Ash Wednesday was there. Your base level out of Easter to the following things, it's a bit higher. And every year, if you do that, you're just increasing your level. Exactly. And and just going back to to, to penance, um, I always, well, I I talk a lot, I preach a lot, (laughs) I give a lot of spiritual direction. But penance, with respect to sin, has two important fruits. We all sin. We all sin. And penance helps to make up for our past sins. So instead of doing it in purgatory, let's leave hell out of the picture. A good person shouldn't have to go there. But purgatory is always a possibility. The more penance we do on earth, the more we are whittling away at that debt of temporal punishment and maybe taking away purgatory altogether or shortening it considerably. So it has a retroactive effect in reducing the temporal punishment owing for our sins. And it has a prospective aspect in strengthening our will because anything we do that costs us, that is a, a test, that is a, um, something difficult to do, is strengthening our will. Now we are stronger and we have more grace of God in addition. There's the human aspect of willpower. There's the, the supernatural aspect of grace that God is giving us, we have more grace, we have more love for God, more reason to avoid falling into the next sin. So it's always helping us to avoid sins in the future and make up for the sins of the past. So it is a very valuable exercise. That's the penance aspect, but one can apply that to the other two as well, Mm -hmm. prayer and almsgiving, because spending more time in prayer can be a penance. It's a bit of a sacrifice get up early in the morning yeah. to go to Mass, to do, do some prayer. And, and and many of the things that we do in the area of charity or almsgiving are sacrificed too. Go out of our way to visit someone in a hospital, in a nursing home, ring them, find out how they are. Things that we wouldn't ordinarily have done, but now we're going to do it and make more effort. All of that is has some aspect of penance too. There's a great unity between prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. In fact, do you mind if I keep on talking? Keep on talking. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a really nice quote here from Pope Francis. I, I do have one comment, though. Could we describe penance? Uh, the more and more penance we do, th- there's a magnetic attraction to sin, right? Yeah. The more and more penance we do, do we decrease that magnetic attraction to sin again? Absolutely. Is that a good way to describe it? I, I would say so, yes. Great. Uh, uh, but it's, it's based more on, on love for God. But 
the magnetic attraction is not a bad way of putting it, and that's original sin. Yes. Another description that someone once gave me, which I thought was very apposite, is it's faulty wheel alignment. Yes. So the car was driving straight before <laughs> in the original sin. Now it tends to veer any direction, but it's veering off the road you should be on. That's the magnetic attraction towards yes. sin, yes. towards the wrong thing. And the more we fall in love with God, and that's the ultimate fruit of everything we're doing in Lent, then we have more desire to be faithful to God and not to offend Him. And one way I like to look on that too is, that I tell this often to people, I don't know whether they do it or whether it works, but if someone is tempted, let us say to a more serious sin, mm -hmm. then if they imagine Christ on the cross in absolute agony, and even, let us say, excruciating pain, remembering that the word excruciating comes from excruce, from the cross. Yes. And if somebody looks at Jesus hanging on that cross, with coming to the end of his life perhaps, looking at us with those mournful eyes saying, how can you do this to me? I'm dying for you. I'm suffering, suffering pain for you. I'm sacrificing for you. And that's the way you treat me this sin you're about to commit, seeking that pleasure. So I don't know whether that thought helps in the moment of the temptation, but it's a very good one to keep in mind in general. Yes. That, um, let Excellent. me go back to Pope Francis. Let's see from Pope Francis. No, Francis unites the three, I think, in a very uh, effective and, and important way. He says, almsgiving, prayer and fasting, bring us back to the three realities that do not fade away. Prayer reunites us to God, charity to our neighbor, fasting to ourselves. God, my neighbor, my life. These are the realities that do not fade away and in which we must invest. And of course, God comes first. The first commandment, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with thy whole heart. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So God first, our neighbor, and then we have to look after ourselves too, and that we do by fasting. And Pope Francis goes on. This is his homily for Ash Wednesday, 2019. Lent, therefore, invites us to focus first of all on the Almighty in prayer, which frees us from that horizontal and mundane life where we find time for self, but forget God. And let's pause there because this is so real in the lives of all of us. We get caught up in the day-to-day. -to -day. Today I have to do this, drive there, attend that meeting. And we're thinking about the horizontal, mundane. We forget God. We have to come back to Him. And Lent is a time when we can increase our prayer life in either quantity or at least always qualities. We bring God back into our life, more presence of God, offering up all that activity to God. So it's fundamental that we go to God more often and better in Lent so that we get escape from the horizontal mundane. It then invites us to focus on others with the charity that frees us from the vanity of acquiring and of thinking that things are only good if they are good for me. 
we're always thinking first of ourselves, and that's the magnetic attraction. That's the faulty wheel alignment. To focus first on ourselves, what would I like? What would I like people to do for me? And we have to turn mm -hmm. that around. Yep. What can I do for someone else? Yep. How can I serve them and, and not be sorrowful that they don't serve me? Mm -hmm. And finally, Lent invites us to look inside our heart with fasting which frees us from attachment to things and from the worldliness that numbs the heart. Prayer, charity, fasting. Three investments for a treasure that endures. Investments in eternal life. And we tend to forget that. In Lent, we can come back to that reality, increase our desire for God, our journey on the way to heaven, which actually I'm writing another book, and this is the topic of it. That's great. So what's the topic of the, the actual book? Well, let's go back to, this is the third of a series, the first one being mm -hmm. Dying to Live, Reflections on Life After Death, which was a suggestion of a friend, wouldn't it be good if there were a book on life after death exactly. for people who don't believe in it? The book is written for non-believers. Catholics are perhaps the ones reading it the most, but they're, they're buying extra copies for their non-Catholic and, so book and number one, get, make sure you get a copy of Father John Flater's Dying to Live. We've talked about it book on one. this program. We have. Think, we, yes. You can actually go back to the uh, podcast or wherever you get your podcast or listen to the show and you can access it there and there is a link to purchase the book Dying to Live. But you followed up with a second book. Yeah. So then another... From Dying to Live. And a friend read that one, bought extra copies. He said yep. he really enjoyed it. He said, please write another book in this same style. So I thanked him for the, uh, the suggestion and, and had no thought whatsoever of writing another book. Then I was praying in our chapel one day and I came up with an idea. And I have a principle that if you think something's a good idea, just do it. Mm -hmm. And don't, don't go to your grave thing. I should have done that. <laughs> do it. <laughs> so I wrote another book. And that is how to prepare for the judgment knowing what is right and wrong. And this book, too, was written for the non-believers. So it's all based on the natural law. So with, this with, book is called um, uh, The Final the Exam. The Final Exam, Preparing so the Final for the Exam. Make sure you get a copy of that. We've also done an episode on this. Wherever you get your episodes, make sure you access it there. And there is a link to purchase your book. It's, it's been a great success, Good. Dying to Live and the Final Exam leading up to there. And you're currently working on Well, then uh, I this thought, well, that's now. the end. I'm not going to write any more books. <laughs> I'm very busy, very busy. So... Then, again, I was praying in our chapel, and I was reading something of St. Josemaria. It was something about a journey, whatever it was, and something just struck me mm -hmm. when I read that. It was just a couple of words, yeah. and I thought, that's another book, because we are all on a journey to eternal life. could be hell. Let's hope it's heaven. We're on a journey, but we forget the journey. We're, we're so caught up in the day-to-day that we forget where we're going, the importance of the journey. So this book is practical hints from the toolbox to help us to keep God more in mind, keep that journey more in mind, and, and prepare better for the end of that journey. And one of the key points, it's in the other books too, is we don't know when our journey is going to end. Mm -hmm. We don't know. 
it could be tomorrow. It could be uh, great tonight. We, we so, so you provide us practical tools. It's all practical tools. Practical tools to, to keep God more in view, keep that journey more in view, so that whenever He calls us, we're ready. Hmm. That's amazing. We'll pray for that book, and uh, hopefully, when it's released, we will have an episode. And and then we'll have to further. give it a title. I started with the journey of life. Then I thought maybe the journey to heaven. Or it might be totally different from either of those, Maybe. but I suspect the word journey will be somewhere. The salvation toolbox. The salvation toolbox. <laughs> the toolbox for salvation. <laughs> That's what it is. This is the toolbox. The whole, those Practical three books guide to are, save are, your soul. Are the toolbox for salvation. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Hmm. Give us some thought, Father. Give us some consideration. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, so let's let's continue through. So uh, the words of Pope Francis uh, are very, very, are very, very strong there. And and I mean, now we're in. We've done the second week. We're in the third week of Lent now. Should people be thinking how ascetic? I mean, you speak about this whole graph, um, whether it's you know a straight graph, a parabola. However, <laughs> we're going to grow exponentially in our spiritual life especially in this season of Lent, do you recommend people to, to go as ascetical as possible or maybe to focus on several vices or several things or make the resolutions few but good? No, rather the latter on that spectrum, not too much because they won't live it. Yeah. And whatever we do take up, let us try to live it and be faithful. Now, another... Um, reality in people's lives is, and I get this from children, I'm a chaplain in a girls' school in primary, and they say, oh, I gave up chocolate for Lent, and then I had some chocolate. Now, <laughs> as if that's a disaster, and there's no point in continuing because I've already broken my Lenten resolution. Yeah. And I say to that, absolutely no. You made the resolution. It's not a law of God. You can break that whenever you want. And sometimes charity demands that you do something because someone has offered you something exactly. that you were giving yeah. up in Lent. Yeah. And it's more charitable to accept yeah. rather than say, look, I'm sorry I gave that up for Lent. Especially when you've been invited to someone's dinner party and they're serving something like meat and it's on a Friday and you gave that up for Lent. Say, look, I'm sorry I gave up meat for Lent. I'm sorry. But how are you, you can't embarrass your host who has just prepared all this beautiful... Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so it's a great thing to break that pride in just in that instance and eat the meat and just get back to your penance. That, uh, from my personal experience, I find that's very good that you know, if somebody's made meat, you know, I've given up meat during yeah. this uh, season, you know, trying to be a good Maronite as much mm. as I can. Uh, uh, but, but, you know, you go on a retreat and they're serving meat. You go on um, a, <laughs> somebody's house and they've only made this particular food. And, and you just have to eat it. And, 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 you know, it's a good exercise, I think, for me personally to say, well, I'm going to break that pride of, saying, of being on the roll of not yeah. eating meat, you know. Yeah. Because there is a pride in that that can build up. Sure, I'm not eating meat. Yep. I'm so good. Uh, and then when you eat meat, you feel, oh, I've broken something. But really, you haven't. You can continue through with the ascetical struggle of not eating meat. Sure, and it may way. be that in that very meal where you're eating the meat, there's some other little penance you can do, like not putting salt on it or yeah. eating less of something that they're going to give you. And that's the little penance that mm -hmm. substitutes for not eating meat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I feel many people I speak to, many people have struggled with, you know, going 
very hard into Lent, not eating meat, um, not listening to music, uh, but but really, and then it goes the other way. The graph <laughs> goes back down, and it and it offsets uh, the gains, you know, after Lent. So what what you're saying is that we make small but good resolutions. Yes, you know, Saint Jose Maria Escriva spoke about to make few but good resolutions. Yeah, and, and ones and, that you know you can live, or it's going to be a a test yeah. that you can actually live this. But that's the area where you want to be in that area where it's going to be a little bit difficult for you, but you think I can do this, mm -hmm. and then set out to do it and and struggle, and it will be a sacrifice at times to live your prayer life or your charity, whatever it is, and then you, you grow spiritually, and there's a springtime. That's great. No, I think, I think it's absolutely amazing. And what I particularly like, Father, is in, is in the Eastern churches, uh, whether it's the Maronite or the Byzantine or other Eastern churches. The Orthodox. And, and, or Eastern Catholics or Orthodox uh, who use uh, the counterparts, who use the same liturgy anyway, um, of each other and particularly the traditional uh, Roman calendar and the other traditional uh, Latin rites, they make provisions for preparation into before Lent, yeah. such as the Septuagesima, yeah. uh, Sexagesima, and uh, uh, Quinquagesima. Yeah. Yes, leading up to uh, many of the, the other liturgies, such as the, the, Anglic, uh, the Ordinariate, the Anglican Ordinariate. Uh, the traditional Latin Mass, the Dominican Rite, the other ones, they make a provision for this sort of preparation mm. into Lent, which I, I find quite helpful. Yes. Uh, um, very, very helpful because it prepares you a little bit uh, going into Lent and it slowly eases you. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to make the quantum leap on Nash Wednesday. You can, you it's can, more gradual. You can get into it. Yes. The mm. meat consumption doesn't have to st go mm. down. But let's... Um, what, what else is there that, that's on your mind, Father, to discuss for this season? As people are, you know, are feeling the pain, you know, we're well into Lent, uh, what other wisdom can you share with us? Well, I think the prayer is the one that gives you the incentive and reminds you of things. And when you're starting to get tired, yeah. this penance of getting up early in the morning so I can do some prayer or go to Mass at, get the 6.30 Mass, but I want to do 15 minutes of mental prayer mm -hmm. before yeah. Mass or say the Rosary. It's tough getting up. And then you're starting to get weary. Yeah. And then you come back to your prayer. And one of the things I always recommend in the area of prayer is take one of the four Gospels of the Passion. All four Gospels have the Passion. Take one of them and then in your mental prayer, if people don't know what mental prayer is, read something and just, what is mental prayer for our listeners who've well, never heard it, of it, it before? It's talking with God in your own words. It's not saying prayers, which we normally call vocal prayer or vocal prayers. Yeah. But here we have to do all the talking ourselves. Mm -hmm. So you, you read a passage, and just a very short one. It's amazing how when you read something slowly in any part of the scriptures, yeah. or even any other book, you read it slowly, and suddenly things spring out of it that you hadn't ever considered before. Yeah, yeah. And you stop and pray with that. What is this trying to tell me? Lord, how can I put this into practice? How can I love you more seeing how much you love me? Whatever you want to say. But I think it's prayer where when we're starting to get weary 
and give up and think, oh, this is too much, but keep on going. Christ, and this is another thing I always tell people, is the, the, I often do it in the context of, oh, Father, I, I, I miss Mass on Sunday, but we were just so tired. We we're going to go in the evening, but we we're just so tired. And I say, consider that the Mass makes present the sacrifice of Christ on Calvary. When he had been scourged and crowned with thorns and struck in the face and in the Holy Land, this is something that I had never heard of until I saw it in the house of Caiaphas just on the edge of Jerusalem. There's a pit and apparently they lowered him down into this fairly deep pit. When you look down, it goes down a long way. There's nothing down there. And that's where he spent the night apparently. So nothing to eat, nothing to drink. He is absolutely exhausted from all the loss of blood mm -hmm. and the pain. And then he has to pick up that cross and carry it. Well, going to Mass for us on a Sunday when we're tired is nothing like the pain he suffered in the whole of his passion. Mm -hmm. the, the Mass makes that present. So think of that and think, am I getting soft? Oh, it's, it's, uh, um, I'm too tired or it's too hot or whatever excuses we can come up with. Let's say, no excuses, we go to Mass. We want to celebrate Sunday, keep the Lord's Day holy yeah. by attending the sacrifice of Calvary made present in the Mass. And to think about it, I'm sure people feel this way on a Thursday or a Friday and they don't want to go to work, but they push themselves to go to work. Why are we thinking with a different mindset towards something which is uh, infinitely more important uh, which is the holy sacrifice of the mass, as opposed to going to work, which, you know, if you lost your job, they'll replace you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that's a very good Consistent argument. Consistent thinking. Yeah, we, we will go to great lengths to do something we want to do. Um, let me just think. Well, there's one example. Someone Taylor was, Swift concert. I, I was thinking of her as I, well. I was actually seeing all the people and I was thinking, oh, did Father John Flater release uh, another book? You know, all these people going. <laughs> I think uh, Taylor Swift has a bit more popularity than I do. But, you no, know, people were driving from Queensland. I think it might have been to Melbourne when there Melbourne, was an accident. Queensland, people were killed yeah. on the way. And, but somebody gave another example. Was if people say, oh, it's too far, Father. Just going back to one story that I heard from an elderly lady in Adelaide who described what it was like to go to Mass when she was growing up in outback South Australia. And she said we would be woken up at like something like four in the morning, bundled into the back of a horse-drawn carriage, maybe just a cart, covered over with blankets in the winter because it was cold. That horse wasn't going to trot. It was going to walk probably two hours to get to the nearest town where there was a mass, two hours. Then, greet people afterwards, maybe buy a few provisions if some shop was open, and then two hours back home. This they did every single Sunday. They never questioned that. This is what we do to get to mass. And today, if people say, oh, it's an hour away from where we were, you're an air-conditioned comfort of a car and yeah. a heated car. Bluetooth, and an hour is nothing. Apple CarPlay. You can do everything, and I would, I would be praying myself. But, but, but there's, it's nothing compared with what they were doing. Yeah. And then 
the, the, the corollary of all of this is, wait a second, to get to the grand final, to watch their team play, <laughs> they're going to drive five hours to get to the city. And sometimes they're going to drive three or four hours maybe every time their team is playing at home. Yeah, that's the closest uh, Not city. to mention the parking and the, the nightmare of just getting out of the parking when you're in the <laughs> Olympic Park. <laughs> exactly, all of that. We make sacrifices for the things we want to do, yeah. and we, we find it's too, too burdensome to, to, do, to worship God. Actually, another one that I often tell, just that I made up this story. And so the husband says to his wife and children, look, I've got a cold coming on. It's cold in that church. I've got just a bit of a sore throat, just a bit of a runny nose, and I think it would be much better for me today if I just stayed home because I don't want to infect any of those other people, and, and I might just aggravate my cold. So you go, and I'll just stay home. Okay, so he stays home. At 10.30, the phone rings. Is that you, Bill? Yeah. Who is it, Jack? Yeah. Hey, Bill, we're going sailing on the harbor today. It's a beautiful day. It's pretty windy out there. I know it's a bit cold, but we're going to have a great day sailing, and then we're going to have lunch on the island. Do you want to come? What time do we leave? Yeah. To get to Mass, I've got a cold. To go sailing, it's going to be much more exposed to the, to the wind. Um, what time do we leave? Oh, no problem. <laughs> we, we have double standards. We should yeah. not have double standards. And for God should be the highest standard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, even just small things, the way sometimes, you know, we can, uh, we, we want, you know, to, to hear, you know, we want to hear when we go to Mass what, what, what uh, we want preached to us, what we want to hear, <laughs> or, um, or we, we want to make demands. But we wouldn't do the same thing if we went to work on our boss or somebody else. Yeah. Like, th there needs to be a consistency. Yeah. If you truly love God, I mean, I mean, if if you can't make sacrifices, I mean, the love of God is questionable to start yeah. with. So we really, really have to think: Do we love God in yeah. that instance? Actually, I read something recently, priority? just a reflection of somebody. Yeah. It may be a question that somebody asked me for the Catholic Weekly, but it, it was, Father, if you look over the past years. For example, in, in, in Australia, and when I came here in 1968, we had five holy days of obligation, mm -hmm. which were Christmas, New Year's Day, the, the Divine Maternity of Mary, and then the three A's was the way I always remember them. Ascension Thursday, which was on a Thursday, Assumption, which is still a holy day, and All Saints, three A's. Wow. Ascension, Assumption, All Saints saints then because people weren't going to mass in the numbers they were before the bishops decided rather than burden them with another holy day of obligation to go to let's just reduce this well first pass some of the holy days like ascension thursday to the nearest sunday so we have a number of those yeah. and there's nothing wrong with this the code of canon law gives facilities for the bishops conference to do that for their territory but the more we make it easier for people, the more they relaxed they get, the more we can encourage them to live the demand. Go to Mass, five holy days, that's nothing. If you look in the Court of Canon Law, I think the number in the universal church, which can be lived and may or maybe not lived maybe in, in any country, I don't know. I think there's 10, there might be 12, but it's a long, much longer than, than five. And then the Bishop's Conference dispenses from... 
those ten holy days of obligation. Well, it, it says suited. either you dispense from it altogether, or you you pass it to the nearest Sunday. Now, obviously, yeah. Easter is the greatest holy day, and it's always on a Sunday, so you wouldn't have to call that another holy day of obligation. Yeah. And every Sunday is a holy day, as the, that's the wording of the mm -hmm. Code of Canon Law again. But but it's the ones that don't fall on a Sunday. St. Joseph can fall anywhere, mm -hmm. the Immaculate Conception, and, and so many other feasts. Then pass them to the nearest Sunday, or just say, don't worry, but try to get to Mass if you can. So when we, when we reduce the demands, I think we soften people, and then they get ever softer. And just on that, the bishops of England and Wales, I think it was, now this is quite a few years ago, but in the last 10 probably, decided to reintroduce, and I think not as a matter of, of um, demand, but of strong recommendation that on Fridays we go back to abstaining from meat. Yeah. I think that was the issue that they dealt with. They just thought, we're getting too soft here. Let's just go back to something stronger. And thinking of that, one of the things that I read, Rodney Stark is an American sociologist of religion. Yeah. He's written a number of books, and the one that I read was The Rise of Christianity. And w what he points out is, why did Christianity not only survive, but rise in numbers in the era of the persecutions? First by the Jews, then by the Romans for 250 years. That ended with the well, uh, the last persecution was Diocletian, the beginning of the 4th century. And then Constantine the Great issued the Edict of Milan, where Christianity, instead of being a, a, a crime against the, the Roman gods and goddesses, became a legitimate practice. That was 313. 380, under the emperor Theodosius, there was a, a majority in the Roman Senate yep. that declared Christianity the official religion, before we were persecuting it, now it's the official religion of the Roman Empire. How did Christianity rise so much when it was being persecuted? Well, they were a tough time, but people had faith. And then he, he, read, he, read, he wrote somewhere else, or I saw maybe a, something of an interview, but he said, those institutions and religions which are, I can word it either way, I'll just start with one of the ways. Those institutions and religions which are making the most demands on their people are the fastest growing. Mm -hmm. and, and conversely, those who are the fastest growing, look at what they're demanding. They are the ones that are more demanding. Mm, yeah. And he mentioned that in the, in the rise of Christianity, that he said, there's, a, there's a, an institution today, well, a church, which is growing today at about the same rate as Christianity in the early centuries. And, and it's 10% a year, not 10% compounded. So every, every, you have 100 to start with, then you have 110, but the next year it's another 10% of that. So it's yeah. growing asymptotically. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's Mormonism. Wow. What, what do the Mormons do? No alcohol, no smoking, um, two years on the missions for young people? Yeah, yeah. I think, I think they sent them, the men are sent at, I think, 20, 21 for two years, and the women are sent at about 18 or 19, something okay. like that, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. No, so it's demanding. Yeah. They're growing. Mm -hmm. The Catholic Church is growing. It's yeah. constantly growing. And the Catholic Church is much more demanding than, than any other. Well, I'll leave aside the Orthodox. They're very good. Yeah, I mean, we'll get into that um, because I, I, I really think it's important, the point you made, that we've become too soft as a church. We've become so soft on an ecclesiastical level, the penances that are imposed on us. I mean, we can do these things personally. We can fast yeah. on Friday. Um, and really, if you think about it, if we all love God, do we need the church to impose an ecclesiastical penance on us? Well, they shouldn't really. We should, should, really. We should all the, be the running to, yeah. to, to, to add more penance and to uh, come closer to God. But the, the church as a mother gives us penance, you know, to strengthen us. Exactly. It's not just a bunch of rules. Yeah. You know, it's like a PT uh, giving you a, a diet plan and saying, look, this week I want you to eat, you know, salmon and tuna and yeah. uh, all these sorts of fish. I want you to do this. I want you to uh, add the number of, um, uh, uh, on Fridays, I want you to abstain from meat, you know, and get your protein from elsewhere. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a way to see it. So the church is our mother trying to impose discipline on us. Um, because again, the sensus fidelium or the sense of the faithful that, uh, that the, in the church in her lived experience imposes that to help us grow based on the time. So <laughs> I just watched, Father, before I started Lent, uh, about an hour and a half. And I watched this actually, I watched this last year and the year before. It's, um, it, it's, it, it's a video about the history of uh, Lenten fasting. Mm. Uh, it's by Dr. Taylor Marshall. Um, who, and that was a very good uh, episode where he explained the history of uh, Lenten penances and the fast. And, and if you go back um, to the early church, 3rd, 5th century, the, the fast of the Eastern Church, the Byzantine uh, 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 fast, was almost identical to the Roman fast. Yeah, it was. The, it was. It was one was. church and it was universal. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. I've written on both... The, the fasting of Lent and on the fasting of Advent, because people yeah. think Advent isn't the time of penance. Well, it is. It always has been. It, it's not stated as much today, mm -hmm. and it should be much more. And I always, yeah. say, I, I always say, make Advent a little Lent. So you yeah. do something of what you did in Lent. It's shorter. But it, it began with fasting two days a week in the yeah. early, like the fourth century. Um, For Advent. For Advent. Wow, two days a week. And it's still present today in the traditional Roman calendar of the traditional Latin Mass, this sense of penance leading up throughout Advent and very much in the Eastern, other Eastern um, rites, such as the Maronite rite, uh, there is a fast. They, they treat it like a fast, I think 40 days uh, leading up to till Christmas. Um, and other Easter, I think the Byzantines and the yeah. other ones, Far, they have this concept of leading up to Advent, um, leading up to Christmas, actually. I don't know if it's the four weeks that they do exactly, but, but that sense of penance. So, so, so I mean, it, it's intriguing watching that episode and understanding and reading more about the Byzantine fast and what they still currently do yes. is, you know, they, they, they completely give up all meat, all dairy products, yeah. anything that comes from an animal. With a backbone. Which, which, that, with a backbone. That's the rule. So you can have all the lobster yeah. you want, all the clams, but, uh, and you can't afford that. So, and you can't <laughs> have fish. That has a backbone. It has so a backbone. No it, eggs? No eggs. No. Because it comes from a chicken? Comes from, no milk? Yeah. 
um, no, uh, what else? No wine, no oil. So there's mm. no oil yeah, to season your salad. Yeah. Um, and and, uh, and it, was, it was very, very tough. And traditionally, uh, we would fast based on the principle of the sun, uh, of, you know, sundown. So we, it, the fast would go from basically the first three days of Lent, I believe, you, do, you eat nothing. Really? For the first three days. Mm. That's how it began. And then you continue on uh, fasting every day and eating ab at about three o'clock. Not until three mm. o'clock having something or, or in the late afternoon. But then it got adjusted over the years to, to mean some other time after midday with variations. But there are people still fasting like this today. Well, the Maronites in principle can do that up till noon. You don't eat anything. Yeah, exactly. So I, I grew up at school and... Uh, culturally doing that as well so um, and I still do that as well giving up mm. meat and fasting and 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 so but the principle was that you know a lot of people couldn't achieve this they're looking at a mountain many people couldn't achieve this you know if you're a factory worker you're a pregnant woman uh, sure. with, with giving a child you're a sick person you're somebody who has a hard job but the church never, I think the Eastern churches didn't change the rules just because of your situation. What they did was you looked at the mountain, you said, well, okay, I can't climb to the top. How far can I get? How much yeah. can I do? Rather than saying, we're not going to do anything, do yeah. what you can. Yeah, exactly. It's no, how closely can you, can you how, how further up the mountain can you get? Can you fast till 1030? Could you eat some, could you give up most? Could you give up at least some oil and not eat meat through the week? Could you? And that was discerned with a priest or a spiritual director, yeah. something like that. I found that profound because they didn't change the rules. Uh, you just had to see how far you can go up that mountain. Now, even the obviously the monks of Mount Athos and other places, mm. you know, they could probably do the whole thing because yeah. they're, they're not working. They're not lay people and... <laughs> and, uh, you know, they don't have to look after a family or support uh, work, you know, in a secular job. But, but other lay people would try and participate as much as they can. I think really that was a great uh, insight and that really changed my perspective yeah. to understand it that way, the yeah. way the Eastern Church the, the understands courage it. courage to do what you can. It's a good way because, as you put it, if, if you say, well, you've got to climb to the top, well, I can't do that, I won't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not healthy. Exactly. And just on the... Um, the Advent fast, when I did my research writing, writing about that, I think what I came across was the Orthodox call it St. Philip's fast. This is, mm. this is Advent. Yep. It begins on the feast of Saint, after the Feast of St. Philip, which I think is the 14th or 15th of November. So there, Advent is, is probably closer to six weeks. Ours is four Sundays, and then um, whatever follows the fourth Sunday up until Christmas, much shorter. So... They call it a fast, too. We don't yeah. call it a fast. We call it Advent, a season of hope and expectation. But I, I constantly remind people, hey, this is a season of prayer and penance, too. Yeah, and I think the traditional Roman calendar, it does emphasize that a little bit more than the new rite, and, and other Latin rites do that sure. as well, which is great. Many people participate in it. Uh, and But uh, St. Peter Chrysologus, uh, I believe, had some great words um, or great insight, you know, about Lent, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah. Do you want me to, I brought a quote and I mentioned yes, that before. Yes, I was looking forward but, to that. Um, he unites the three of prayer, fasting and almsgiving. Yes. And I've got it right on top here. Um, 
I'll just read this and comment on it as we go along. So this is a sermon. There are three things, brethren, three, through which faith stands firm, devotion abides, and virtue endures. Prayer, fasting, and mercy. What prayer knocks for upon a door, so we're knocking on the door of God, please, fasting successfully begs, now let's not just beg God for things, let's show him we're in earnest by sacrificing, by doing penance or fasting too, then we successfully beg and mercy receives. So when we're actually showing kindness to others, then God is much more inclined to give us something. He, he develops that idea throughout this little text. Yeah. Prayer, fasting, and mercy. These three are a unit. They give life to one another. For fasting is the soul of prayer. We can pray, but let's fast too. It gives life to our prayer. And mercy is the life of fasting. Let no one cut these three apart. They are inseparable. And so when we come to Lent, let us not just think, what am I going to give up for Lent? That's the common thought process. Not only what am I going to give up, what am I going to do in the area of prayer, increasing my prayer life, and mercy is the most important, almsgiving, charity. If a man has only one of them, or if he does not have them all simultaneously, he has nothing. Therefore, he who prays should also fast, and he who fasts should also be merciful. He who wants to be heard when he petitions God should hear another who petitions him. Oh, could you uh, come over to my house and, and help me uh, do something? Could you give me a lift to work? Someone is asking us for a favor. Let's mm, hear yes. him because we want God to, to hear us. He who does not close his own ear to a suppliant opens God's ear to himself. So we are generous with others. God will be generous with us. If anyone wants God to perceive that he is hungry, he should himself take notice of the hungry. If he hopes for mercy, he should show mercy himself. If he desires fatherly kindness, he should display it first. He who wishes someone to make an offering to him should make an offering himself to God. He is an unworthy petitioner who demands for himself what he refuses to another. So there's more, but let's leave it at that. And it just shows those three should never be separated. And they are not just three things for Lent. Always we should be praying. We should be denying ourselves in, in penance and take on ourselves whatever we can live beyond what the church demands, because the church is demanding very little now. And all of this it bears fruit in our kindness, our charity, generosity. Exactly. So we want to mortify ourselves. We want to pray more. We want to do more so that we can mold ourselves a bit of, like a workout a little bit more this season so that we can leave Lent with having developed, having a gain that we can continue through the years, yeah. such as if we've been going to Mass a little bit more. We'll continue that practice. Or if you've been uh, doing the Stations of the Cross each Friday, which I do, mm -hmm. um, you, we can continue that through uh, throughout the year and continue that. It can be, a, be it's, it's to create a permanent change, to mortify you, help you grow spiritually, but 
add certain uh, permanent changes. If, if you've learnt to become nicer to people at work and do your work better and stop procrastinating a little bit more and change your attitude, well, I'm going to continue that through the year. No, you know? absolutely. And when I was just talking with somebody, I go to Hobart once yeah. a month and talking with a young fellow down there. You do some said, great work down there in Hobart. Yeah. There's some. Anyway, yeah. so this young fellow smokes. He said, I'm going to give up smoking for Lent if I can do it. And then I said, well, I hope after Lent you continue giving it up because it's no good for your health. And these days in Australia, it costs a fortune. Yeah, it does, yeah. <laughs> so give up your vices and keep up. You drink too much alcohol. Well, drink less or don't drink any and don't go back to it. So all those, those little things that are anyway harmful or maybe immoral in some degree, give those up first and then stay off them. Exactly. That's amazing. Father, let's go into the three practical tools for this episode. What can you equip us with as three practical tools for us to take action with? What can people precisely do um, this Lent? It, it, look, it, for many people listening who may not have had a strong start to Lent, you know, you've been uh, winning in and off, um, you know, penance, you haven't been consistent, you haven't thought, you haven't started and You've woken up now, we're well into Lent, and you want to carry it on strong. Mm. What are three practical tools? How can we take action, Father? Um, what are some ideas people can do uh, during Lent? Uh, and, you know, if they, have, they may have no idea uh, what they can take up or do. What are some ideas you can give us? Well, you ask that question always. So when I was preparing for this, I thought, well, we've already got the three things. Now we just have to see what we put in each one of those three baskets, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. So what practical thing can I do in Lent? Maybe say the rosary every day. Maybe read the Passion. Go to Stations of the Cross. Go to Mass more often. Something in the area of prayer so that we're increasing our relationship with God. That's the most important. Then fasting. Whatever one can do it, has started to do or thought of doing, be generous too. So choose something that you can do mm. and stay with it. And when you get to Easter Sunday, say, thank God I was able to do that. And don't let the pride come in either. Thank God that you, you, you kept it up. So something in the area of self-denial and that we should be living all the time anyway. He who would be my disciple, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. And then finally, the charity is the most important. Well, after God, love for God will give us love for a neighbor. But again, choose something really practical, like a man who is too impatient with his children or with his wife. I've got to be more patient. I've got to smile more. I've got to just be nicer at home. Or maybe it's at work. He gets angry with, with colleagues or whatever. So choose something in the area of charity. Stick with it. And then we get to Easter and we're much closer to God than we were on Ash Wednesday. That's absolutely amazing. And I think uh, you mentioned Mass. I think Mass is a great place to start for many people. Uh, if, if you go to Sunday Mass and you want to increase it, I'd suggest starting with Monday and Friday, especially Friday being a, yeah, Friday, a, a penitential day. And Monday, a great start to the week. It can help just shape your week. And then maybe the second week, add Wednesday. So yeah. you've got Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday. Beautiful. And then the third week, and maybe roll with that for two weeks. Sure. And then for another week, add Tuesday or add Saturday. Actually, it might be easier for Saturday for some people to wake up and mm. if they have work commitments. 
and and to look up which when can you go to mass and look up a particular parish at work on your way to work around where you live before work maybe after you come back from work somewhere where mass is offered and and increase the number of times you go to mass sure. and, and the rosary as well you know adding that if if you, you never pray the rosary through the year, perhaps doing it on Monday and Friday yeah. and build it up from there. You know, that can be in there. Build it up week by week, add it an extra day. Um, but, but would it be a good idea for somebody to seek out a spiritual director during, during the season of Lent to start spiritual direction always, with a particular priest? Always, not only in Lent, but always. It's just good to have a, a, a pastoral... A, person that accompanies us along the way, we can bounce ideas off. What do you think about this? The person might say, look, I think that's too much for you. I wouldn't try all of that. I would start with something less mm -hmm. if you want to build up during Lent. So a spiritual director, a spiritual guide can be very, very helpful. So your parish priest could actually uh, be, you, so you could approach your parish priest. Um, if you're in a parish which has many priests, I mean, more the better that maybe you associate with or knows you personally or somebody yeah. that knows you personally that you can see maybe every couple of weeks, once a month to maybe guide you and mentor you uh, for your spiritual life. That could be a great idea, approaching your parish priest. A absolutely. And I know a lot of people who call their spiritual, who call their, their spiritual director, as they call this person, is, is a friend, is a, is a lay person who is ahead of them on this spiritual yeah. journey, yeah. who has been practicing these things for a long time, and they, 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 they can relate to one another because yeah. they're both, let's say, housewives, or they're both workers or whatever, yeah. and, and that person can be a good guide yeah, too. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily have to be a priest because um, there's that element you know, of understanding your situation, being in the same position as working, you know, a full-time job, having kids. So maybe seek out somebody who has a lot of wisdom and, um, and, and that you're friends with and growing. So that could be a good thing to start during Lent, I would recommend for many people. And fasting, where's a good place to start with fasting for anyone who hasn't fasted before? <coughs> Uh, from food, could it be you know to fast from a food or to well, a particular time, maybe twelve o'clock? Well, and food isn't the only thing we can fast from. Yeah, one of the ones that I've been seeing a lot of the children doing is fasting from their mobile phone, yeah. from their <laughs> iPad, yeah. from social media, and these are little girls doing this. And I think it's a very good idea. The amount of time that we spend, not to say waste on social media and just screen time is, is enormous. So that, that's another area of fasting. Music maybe in the car. Um, yeah, any, don't any... play the radio, maybe play some prayer or, um, or you know, a podcast or this show perhaps, you know, if you're driving or a yeah. meditation. You, uh, for many people who don't know, Father John Flader here on Voice of Charity Australia on 17.01 a.m., he has meditations every single Wednesday at 4.30 p.m. Is that correct, Vera? 4.30 p.m. So it's 4.30 p.m. here on Voice of Charity Australia on 17.01 a.m. You can tune in through the app on the radio in your car or wherever you access the radio. So 17.01 a.m. Uh, Voice of Charity at 4.30 p.m. If you want to listen here to Father John Flader, give spiritual meditations to, to grow your spiritual life, uh, they are 30 minutes each at 4.30 p.m. 
you may be finishing work or in the car, you switch on the radio 4.30 p.m. every single Wednesday and let Father John Flader guide you through your prayer, through that personal mental prayer. He's there for 30 minutes, giving you a meditation each week to help you with your spiritual life. So that could be a good a good way for people in Lent to start. I mean, the radio is there, telecommunications is there. They can tune in, listen to you, help people pray. Yeah. That's, that's a but, great but, idea. But also, well, they're on Radio Maria quite frequently As during well. the week. Yes. But also, if somebody wants to listen to about a hundred <laughs> meditations, <laughs> one by one, whenever, they can just access my blog, which is just yes. Flutter, F-L-A-D-E-R, into Google, it comes up straight away, Flutter Meditation or yes. Flutter Blog. So and just you, Google Flutter, uh, Flutter Blog. Yeah, and then you, blog. then you subscribe if you want when a new one comes out, which is not all that often, perhaps every three weeks, whenever I have a, the time to do it, they take a bit of time. But mm -hmm. then you can access it on whenever you want. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, and I saw someone last night, he listens to it every, every morning on his way to work. Exactly. Yeah, in the train or the bus. For 30 minutes and it helps yeah. him to meditate and so pray. These yeah. are spiritual meditations, uh, the kind that you would have on a retreat uh, or, you know, on a spiritual reflection or recollection. Um, so, so this can help you to pray. So uh, you can also download your podcast as well. Father Flay, yeah. is it on podcast as well? Well, the, these are podcasts yeah. on my blog. Exactly. So just access the blog pick out a meditation that you like. The last one is on, it's on peace, source peace, of peace. Yes. Yeah. Exactly, then, but you can definitely access it off um, the Apple Podcast. So you can go to Apple Podcast, find Father John, Father Flader Meditations, subscribe and access them there. Or if you want to listen to it live, he's also available every week, Wednesday at 4.30 p.m. on Voice of Charity Australia, 17.01 a.m. Thank you so much, Father, for coming in. Pleasure again, George. Thanks yes. for having me. Keep, uh, keep us in your prayers, uh, definitely, uh, for Lent, that we have a fruitful Lent. And uh, you'll be definitely in my prayers for this new book coming up. Yes, let's pray that I can get enough time to write it. But again, I, I'll find the time when you want to do something badly. You, you squeeze in every half hour, every hour that you've got free to write. And it's not easy to do it that way, but yeah. uh, we'll see. Maybe the school holidays will give me a bit of time. Excellent, <laughs> Father. If you can leave us yeah. with your blessing. Oh, good. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit descend upon you all, on yourselves, on your families, on your relatives, on your friends, on your work, all of your activities, and remain forever. Amen. So, thank you for tuning into the Catholic Toolbox, The Art of Practical Catholicism. I'm your host and founder, George Manassa. Until next week, God bless, take care, and take action. In this era of grave spiritual crisis, it is not enough to simply know about your Catholic faith. That is why we need a Catholic toolbox to equip us with the practical skills necessary to live our Catholic faith to reach our ultimate goal, which is heaven for all eternity. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Join us every Tuesday night at 8pm for the Catholic Toolbox 
as we hand you the tools to go forth, live the faith, and change our model world today. Live on The Voice of Charity. Charity.